not every episode we do is going to be about music because sometimes I switch it up and I found the perfect opportunity to do so with one of our greatest Canadian childhood heroes, Mr. Dress Up. Rob McCallum is a filmmaker who I recently learned about who is making a brand new documentary about the show and about the life of Ernie Coombs and Mr. Dress Up and what his show meant to a huge more than one generation of kids. His show ran from 1967 to 1996. That's a lot of children that were affected by the show and raised to be really better people because of it. So Mr. Dress Up meant a lot to many of us kids. Let's look at his legacy. Wikipedia moments. That sounds a bit strange. Hmm, I don't know. That sounds a bit strange, that one, Finnegan. Yeah, well, I'm going to play a tune in a minute when I get them all right. I don't know. wish Mr. Dressup would come and help me get these right. The tune doesn't sound too good. Well, how's the glass band coming along? Sounds it's, pretty good. I heard you tinkling away on it. Hi. It sounded better before. Before? It hasn't changed any. Well, I Let didn't me... change anything, but Let's listen see. to this one. It doesn't seem it quite sounds right. Sounds a little bit out of tune. Let's see. I'll start at the bottom here. Do, do, re, mi, fa, so. Whoops, wait Does a minute. Does that sound right to you? Mm -hmm. That's not right. That's strange. No, now, it's not right. Let's see. No, that's not right at all, Casey. That's not what it sounded like before. How could it be different? I don't know. Couldn't have changed. Wait a minute. What? Well, look. Remember the low note had the most water in it? Right. And then the higher the notes got, the less water. Yes. Well, look at this. This has got a lot of water in it compared to this one. That's... How could it... It hasn't rained, has it? No. Well, how could it get more water in it? Finnegan, could... do you know something about this? Hello, Finnegan. What? You took a little drink out of that one, and then you what? Then you filled it up again. Oh, Finnegan. Uh, well, you filled it up and it got out of tune. That's what happened. Oh, Finnegan, you silly puppy. Mr. Dress Up is a Canadian children's television series. It originally ran on the CBC from 1967 to 1996. Mr. Dressup was developed and produced by Daniel McCarthy, who later became the head of children's programming for CBC Television as a replacement for Butternut Square, on which Mr. Dressup had been a featured character. The series starred the actor Ernie Coombs as Mr. Dressup. The show aired every weekday morning. Mr. Dressup would lead children through a series of songs, stories, arts, crafts, and imagination games with the help of his puppet friends, Casey and Finnegan, a child and a dog who lived in a treehouse in Mr. Dressup's backyard. Some critics likened the series to the American series, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which started being broadcast a year later in 1968 on the U.S. network PBS and was produced by Coombs' former professional associate, Fred Rogers. Judith Lawrence was the puppeteer who created Casey and Finnegan, along with other occasional puppet visitors such as Alligator Al and Aunt Bird. The set for the show included the inside of Mr. Dressup's house with scenes shot in the living room, kitchen, and a playroom. This included the tickle trunk, 
where costumes used in make-believe skits were stored, and a long counter where Casey and Finnegan often appeared. Sometimes the action moved outside to Casey and Finnegan's treehouse. Typically during a segment, Mr. Dressup would get a costume from the tickle trunk, such as one for an animal, policeman, or fireman. Donning the costume, he would play the suggested role. Occasionally, when the tickle trunk would not open, Mr. Dressup sang a song and tickled the lock, hence its name. The trunk appeared to be magic as it always had the right costumes in the right sizes, neatly folded at the top of the piles of costumes. Occasionally, Mr. Dressup would need to make an accessory for his costume, which would lead to a craft. Mr. Dressup usually drew or made a craft and would sing a song with the puppets. On occasion, Mr. Dressup would also read a book or show a short documentary to the audience. The films were usually silent and Mr. Dressup would narrate. He often drew pictures on his drawing board to either illustrate a short story or to play a game with one of his visitors. He would frequently encourage children to try the craft at home or to sing along with the songs. In later years, Judith Lawrence chose to retire from the show. Rather than cast a new puppeteer in the roles of Casey and Finnegan, a team of new puppeteers was brought in. They created Chester the Crow, Truffles, Granny, Annie, Alex, and Lorenzo the Raccoon. These new characters visited Mr. Dressup and over time became the lead puppet characters, with Casey and Finnegan gradually being removed from the show. This was done gradually for a transition before Lawrence's retirement. When Casey and Finnegan stopped appearing on the show, an announcement was made that they were attending kindergarten. With the new characters came new sets, including the community center. During the last 10 years of the show, singer, musician, and yo-yo champion Mark Kersey appeared as recurring character Mark the Repairman. The final episode of Mr. Dressup was taped on February 14, 1996. Coombs spent most of the next few years touring college campuses, giving talks about his time on the show, aimed at students who grew up with his series. He suffered a stroke at the age of 73 on September 10, 2001, and later passed away on September 18, 2001, in Toronto. Rebroadcasts of the series continued for a decade after it ended, until CBC announced that it was taking Mr. Dressup out of its weekly morning lineup and moving it to Sunday mornings. Effective July 3, 2006. The final repeat aired on September 3, 2006. In 2017, episodes from the series were included on Encore Plus, a YouTube channel run by the Canada Media Fund and Google Canada. Although the five episodes made available on YouTube in 2017 were deleted in June 2018, they were reposted a month later. Due to the long run of the series, several generations of Canadian children, as well as Americans growing up in northern United States regions that received the CBC signal, grew up watching Mr. Dressup and his adventures. Ernie Coombs and the character of Mr. Dressup have become strong Canadian icons and a part of Canadian pop culture. In 2010, two elements of the series were preserved for public viewing. They were Casey's Treehouse, which is on display in the Canadian Broadcasting Centre in downtown Toronto. That's the CBC if you didn't know. And the tickle trunk with assorted props, which was previously on display in the CBC Museum, close to where the treehouse is located. The tickle trunk was not placed in another museum after the CBC Museum closed. On November 26, 2012, Mr. Dressup, along with Casey and Finnegan, were featured in a Google Doodle on the Canadian Google website as a tribute to Coombe's 85th birthday. Let's welcome filmmaker Rob McCallum to talk about his brand new documentary and the legacy of Mr. Dressup. We wanted to talk about the work you're doing right now in film, of course, the documentary on Mr. Dressup. 
Very, very exciting. What made you want to make this documentary? What was the driving force behind that? Uh, there's two factors. Uh, first, I was really surprised that nothing had ever been done on Mr. Dress Up at this point, uh, given the slew of pop culture documentaries that seem to, to flood the marketplace every year, seemingly turning over every corner of everything that everybody is obsessed with and all these communities kind of converge around. There was nothing on Mr. Dress Up uh, really anyways. And then of course I showed my kids and they, they watched it and they're five and two. And when I showed them, they're just four and, and not quite uh, one yet. And I said, what do you guys think of the show? And my son Harrison said, Oh, I, I like it a lot. And I mean, of course he's exposed, you know, the Paw Patrols of the world and everything else, the fast space animation stuff. Yeah. And I said, why do you think it's important? He goes, because if Scarlett, his sister watches it, maybe she'll grow up to be nice like Mr. Dress Up. So Aww. I thought, well, now I've got to really look into doing something like this because the show is, is very hard to find online right now. It was mm -hmm. a staple, uh, you know, growing up for me and so many other people I know, but it is kind of invisible nowadays. There, there isn't too much out there when you want to try to point somebody to, to Mr. Dress Up. Uh, so I thought, huh, why is that? And what is the story behind Mr. Dress Up? And uh, that is kind of the crux for the documentary, um, kind of peeling the, the curtains back to not only see how the show was uh, put together, uh, why and how and when and by who, but what is the current legacy of the show and, and why is that? And how it's affected everybody here like 20 plus years later. Of course. It's very yeah, important to know. Um, check out the shirt. I don't know if you can see it, but it's the tickle trunk. <laughs> nice very cool yeah um now who in mr dress up's life did, ernie coombs i should say and for people who don't know that is his real name who did you get to talk to for the documentary oh my god so many people i think we've interviewed 35 people so far that have been associated with the the show so uh, we talked to a son and daughter, which were really mm. cool, Chris and Kathy. We talked to Judith Lawrence, puppeteer and creator of Casey and Finnegan, and also performer of Ant Bird and Alligator Al. Mm. Uh, we talked to uh, Nina Keogh, who's a producer on the documentary as well, and she was a puppeteer behind Truffles. But of course, she actually worked on Friendly Giant for a bit, Polka Dot Door, and today's special. So, like, you want to talk Ooh. about somebody who's a, a pillar of Canadian children's, you know, TV? Nina is like kind of has, has her paw prints kind of in all different spots, which is really cool. Um, we talked to Jim Parker, who was uh, one of Ernie's good friends. He was a musician with Ernie on the live tour, but he was also a writer on the show, and he performed Alex on the show. Ooh. He's a bit of a triple threat in that he kind of crosses writing, performing, and going on, on live tour with them. Uh, it was just honestly so many people. Denise Dickin, who did costume design for the show, what better person to, to talk to on Mr. Dress Up than been the person involved in designing costumes. Oh yeah. Um, producers of the show, uh, just just a lot of cool people. Stu, Stu Gilchrist, the creator of Mr. Dress Up, who was a producer on Butternut Square and was the one that transitioned it to Dress Up because some people don't know and we didn't know going into this that Mr. Dress Up was a spin-off show. It wasn't the original thing. It was a spin-off completely because the Mr. Dress Up character as well as Casey and Finnegan were those characters on a show called Butternut Square that ran from 64 to 67. And uh, to save budget cuts or, or to save money so they could do it, they cut the show, they cut the budget of Butternut Square, made dress up happen with half the space. And, you know, 30 years later it ran and, and that was that. 
I got to look up Butternut Square and see if I can find any of that online left anywhere. Probably not, hey? Good luck. If you do, please huh. call me because there is not a lot out there. We, we do have some materials now because of all the digging and stuff that we've been doing. Mm. Uh, but we hope to unearth a lot more the, the further and harder we dig. So, yeah, I had no idea about the spinoff from Butternut Square. And was that a CBC production as well? Yeah, absolutely. And there were multiple people involved in the show. So Mr. Dressup, of course, is the titular human character. And there would often be guests on, on it, like Susan or uh, Beverly. But for Butternut Square, there was four people. There was Sandy, who also started with Mr. Dressup when the show transitioned. But then there was the music man, Don Himes, who did the theme song for Mr. Dressup mm. later on. Uh, and then uh, I think Bob was the other individual that was there as well. So it was a kind of a four-pronged attack and the set was much bigger. It was more of a neighborhood with the butternut tree in the middle and the treehouse. Oh, so wow. That got repurposed to the backyard of Mr. Dressup, of course. But that, that was a center point, almost like Sesame Street, where you would have all these different houses where everybody else lived and they would come to the center, the, the square, the mm -hmm. butternut square, like Times Square together to kind of you know share their stories and act out their their you know imagination imagination plays and whatnot and that treehouse is absolutely the centerpiece of the show when you think about the show it's one of the first things that pops into my head and was that treehouse there throughout the entire series even after Casey there's, Finnegan were gone there's there's multiple versions of the treehouse we should say so there's the butternut square treehouse which was used for some of the early stuff and dress up and then it kind of evolved a little bit but yeah, the treehouse was there after Casey went to school mm -hmm. and new characters came over to, to Mr. Dress Up. It was in the background and they didn't use it a lot because of the way the puppets were designed for what we call Dress Up 2.0 mm -hmm. uh, because we had a whole new cast of characters, which were not uh, hand in puppet characters, but they were hand in rod characters, much similar to a, like a Muppet design almost yeah. versus a Punch and Judy style. Mm -hmm. So that treehouse is a very narrow spot. So trying to get in there with a rod and, and, a, and a puppet, let alone two puppet characters in there and two performers underneath is very difficult because of course, Judith doing Casey and Finnegan, she just has to put her hands up there so she can talk. Right. And of course, she's like an inch away from, from the inside of the tree, but it's a little harder to have two performers uh, doing that, especially with different kinds of puppets. Now, the last I heard that that treehouse was located now in the lobby of the CBC building in Toronto is what I understand. Now, I also heard that the CBC had a museum for a short time that had a lot of Mr. Dress Up memorabilia, including the tickle trunk. I don't think that museum exists anymore. So again, there are a few different versions of the treehouse. There's the one in the, in the lobby of the CBC building. It's right next to the security desk. Mm -hmm. uh, the Museum of History in Ottawa has one as well. Uh, we've oh, seen wow. both. And we think that there's at least one more out there. It could be in CBC archives. Now, the Tickle Trunk is a really interesting story. Uh, there are multiple versions of the Tickle Trunk. The very first Tickle Trunk was actually white. So huh. Mr. Dressup started in black and white, and it had the iconic flowers and butterfly-type decor on it. And it was white, but then it became red once the show went to color, from what we can tell. But there's various versions of those. And we think that there are as many as five tickle trunks out there that are legit. One of them was for the live show, which was built a little bit bigger so that kids could see it on stage from afar. And mm -hmm. we know that one's in England with uh, Ernie's son, Chris. Mm -hmm. We've seen 
pictures of that and talk to Chris, obviously. And there's a few other ones floating around. There is a, another one in the space that used to be the CBC Museum, which is now used to do their CBC morning production for kids and whatnot. And it's often in the background. And if you go to visit CBC, you can peer through the glass and see it. But that's not the show one. We can tell for a few different reasons, the dimensions are a little off. That's not the show one. Uh, so there are a few other ones out there. So we can tell you that. And I did get to go to the museum that was there. Yeah. I, I was actually an intern at Royal Canadian Air Force when I was doing my post-grad work at Sheridan. So once a week I would go down to CBC and the line would form on the main, uh, like kind of main floor of the, of the building. We would take people up through the elevator. But while we were waiting for people to show up with their tickets for Air Force, I would, I'd always go into the museum and they would have the friendly giant castle in there. They would have Mr. Dressup's drawing desk plus a bunch of the puppets on display. One of the, that tickle trunk I mentioned that wasn't, I don't think show used, but kind of representative of it anyway. So it was a really cool space. They had uh, Dottie and, and uh, Basil from Sesame Park were there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool. You can find some pictures online and some videos on YouTube of the CBC Museum. And I really wish they would bring it back. Oh my goodness. I would be a thrill to go there. Absolutely. Now I'm out in Western Canada, but I'll make the trip. <laughs> if yeah. Well, you just keep staying tuned to all my social media stuff. I'm not going to be on Twitter yet for everything Mr. Dress Up. It is going to change very soon as things ramp up, but there's some really cool stuff that we hope gets in the works mm -hmm. that would be of national interest. Coast to coast people should make the, the trek once, once our, our whole world kind of gets back to normal. Uh, however right. long that takes. Right. Do you think that there would ever be any other show comparable to Mr. Dress Up? I would say the closest comparison would be obviously Mr. Rogers, who I think the two of them knew each other. Best friends at one point. Mr. Rogers was actually Mr. Dress Up's best man uh, for his wedding and is his daughter's uh, godfather. Well, they're close. Which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, uh, Ernie knew Fred very well. He was uh, an assistant puppeteer on Fred's show. And so when Fred came up to Toronto to do Mr. Rogers, which is written as one word with the R and Mr. carrying over for Rogers at CBC, uh, Ernie came with them. So imagine that car ride from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as those two guys travel to Toronto. Mm. I, my, my mind goes crazy thinking about what was said in the car and the, you know, the different things that could have been discussed, but those two guys basically are responsible for, you know, preschool children's entertainment for the entire continent, uh, you know, entire, at that point. More than one entire generation knew them. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we kind of pin it down to five generations, yeah. which is pretty crazy because if it starts in the 60s and ends in the 90s, you've got the parents of the kids that first start to watch it, and then the kids of that first generation, and then the kids of the kids, and because reruns for Dress Up go into 2006, yeah. that's a pretty good four to five generations of, of different kids got, got to see it. But yeah, to, to answer your question, Mr. Rogers is probably one of the most comparable shows, Sesame Street influential for the amount of time it's been on and how many people know it but not too much after that mm -hmm. i think i think it's a small pool of, of shows that that impact people at such an early age that have been around long enough um that when people say the title it's like yeah they have a reference point even if it's a different reference point from the next person because of the age difference uh wow. it's that pool I'm sure this is really small maybe the wiggles is now getting into that territory out of australia because they were around late 80s early 90s so it's been 30 plus years for them but mm. again it's it's not quite the same as you know a 50-year legacy 
And I think a lot of people were unaware that he actually wasn't originally a Canadian citizen, but he became one. That's true. Um, He's from Maine originally. And like I said, he met Fred Rogers in Pittsburgh and yeah. whatnot and, and came up and didn't become a Canadian citizen until 96. Mm -hmm. uh, when he just said, you know, I, I think inherently I'm a little bit more Canadian than I am American. I, he didn't have any desire from what we know to, to go to the States. He was just happy being part of Canada. And the story that we got, I think it was from Kathy, said, you know, somebody wrote to him and said, you know, what does it mean to you to be a Canadian citizen? And he wasn't at the time. And, he, and that's when he first started really putting some thought into it, um, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly, that, you know, you know, I think it's time that that he made the leap and they built the entire citizenship ceremony around him on July 1st, which was pretty cool. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I bet you could find that too online, but. Uh, we do have footage of that as well, which will probably be in the documentary. Awesome. I feel that um, in today's society, uh, people have a hard time uh, accepting the fact that people like um, Ernie Coombs and Fred Rogers were so pure and just full of like love and wanting to educate children. I feel like, do you, do you think that some people might still find it strange that an older man would be, want to be a role model for children? Because I don't well, at I all. Think, I think there's security think, there. I, I think that people are very skeptical and very mm -hmm. cautious, especially when it comes to anything with kids as a mm -hmm. parent. I mean, we went walking through the woods this morning before we started talking this afternoon. And I was like, don't touch that. Don't touch that. You know, oh no, you're going to get stung. Like that's yeah. just a natural response of a parent because you don't want anything to ha happen to your kids. Right. Yeah. But when you, you, you always worry about what they're watching and how they're doing, you know, in, in front of like a TV and what they're absorbing and what they're learning and how that will transcend. So you think, okay, what is this older gentleman doing? What, what, what are the values being presented? It's so easy to poke holes in even the concept, right? So what is Mr. Dressup, which is a question we loved asking people, like describe the, the premise of Mr. Dressup for me. And people would, you know, come at it a bunch of different ways. Well, you know, he's like the uncle or he's like that friendly neighbor or he's like a grandfather. And he's got this, this boy and this dog who live in the treehouse in his backyard. And, you know, girls from the neighborhood would come over and it like, it just does not sound, yeah. you know, it doesn't sound, you know, uh, PC or, or kosher or, or however you would like it, it just does not sound good but the second you watch the show you instantly understand how wholesome and how gentle and how patient it is yeah. and that's everything that we need nowadays in society because everything is do it now do it quick hurry up all the kids programming I think for at least from what I see my kids try to watch is all about problems and problem solving and at first you're like oh no that's good because they're teaching them how to solve problems well, that's so anxiety inducing when it's all about what's oh, yeah. the problem this time? How do we fix the problem? How do we fix the problem? This is going to happen in every episode. The stakes get bigger and bigger. It's like the world is going to die or Adventure Bay and Paw Patrol is going to get flooded. And all these people <laughs> won't have homes. It's like, oh my God, can't we just tell a story like about Jack and the Beanstalk and just play and put a different fun twist on it? Or can't we just make a crap? They have the rest of their it's, lives to worry about other stuff like that. Oh man. Let them enjoy it's, their you, when you start looking at children's entertainment nowadays from the point of, wow, look at all the problems and conflicts that are, that are inherent to this stuff. As an adult, I got riddled and, and overwhelmed mentally thinking, what are we teaching our kids? What, what are we showing them? Mm -hmm. it's, not, it, it's not soothing. It's not uh, comforting. You, you put on Mr. Dress Up, adults are going to kind of relax because there are no stakes. It's about just being yourself and taking your time 
When's yes. the last time you heard someone that said, just, oh no, take your time and really mean it. Do it at your own pace. It's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Sit, sit was... there and cut, the, cut your scissors into the, into the cardboard, construction paper. Take that glue stick. Oh no, I want to see the whole picture that you're drawing. Every stroke. I don't want you to cut to the finished drawing. I want to see how you're going to draw that duck out of those different shapes. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if you make a mistake along the way. Watching him draw was amazing. Like, and just like, I yeah. read somebody said recently, even just like the sound of the squeak of his marker was so relaxing. Like, yeah. And that's the thing. When I think back to Mr. Dress Up and watching it, it was one of those shows that I was always excited for because you were right. There wasn't anything stressful about it. It was just something to enjoy. A, and so what's, what's he going to do today? What are we going to yeah. make? What are we going to like pretend to play and dress as and it's it was just yeah no stress and i think that that you're right it was completely wholesome and i never ever would have thought in my head that anything negative about that situation everything about it was great we we've heard a lot of people chime in especially since our facebook page is, is live and we had been shooting for over a year before we even went public with the project um because again, everybody wants it now. They don't want to necessarily wait, you know, three to five years, which is sometimes is what it takes for a documentary. So we waited and waited until we had more stuff to showcase. But since we've kind of made our Facebook page out there, we've had tons of people say, man, Mr. Dressa, that was a safe place for me. Mm -hmm. my, my school life wasn't good or my, my parents and family life wasn't good. But I knew every day at 1030, I'd have a half hour that was safe. That it didn't matter what was going on in the four walls of my house. It didn't matter what was going on outside. It didn't matter what was going to happen after the show or what had happened that morning. I had a half hour where I felt safe. Mm -hmm. And so we start really drilling down on, on that specifically in the documentary. And I started thinking for myself, why did it matter to me so much? Why did when I was homesick, did I want to put on Mr. Dress Up to feel better? And I think, and I've said it in other interviews, I think it's the ultimate childhood fantasy because you have a nonstop interactive relationship with a loving parent where that parent in our, in our case, isn't on their phone, isn't mm. doing what, what they want to do and, and bothered by the kid who wants to do something else. The parent, Mr. Dressup in this case, stops everything they're doing and, you know, asks Casey what's going on, asks Finnegan what they want to do. Mm -hmm. They start building crafts. They start drawing with them, spending the time with them, which, you know, it, it kids aren't kids for a long time and I've already seen the years go by in my two kids and it's stuff like dress up that makes me want to be a better parent and I'm hey I'm writing notes down based on what is resonating with me as a viewer I'm like oh I wish that you know my folks did that or when I'm like well I got to do that with my kids because that is too important and kids might not get it but when parents watch they do get it and I think kids like it because they do see that relationship and they do wish that that fantasy they see on tv was their life you're right. You're right. And it, it was, it felt like a safe place to be, regardless of what was going on in your life. The, that half hour was, was brilliant. And yeah, he did, he did feel like, to me, he did feel like a friendly neighbor, like the guy next door who, who just, yeah. who makes time for everybody. Um, That's how I saw him. I saw him as somebody like in the community on the street that you would almost go to after school. Yeah. You know, that it was okay before your parents got home from work. You stopped by Mr. Dressup's place. Oh, hello. Nice to see you again. Which, like how every episode starts. Yeah. Oh, well, today we're not doing too much. Uh, 
you know, why don't we see what's going on with uh, Casey and Finnegan? See if they're in the backyard. And you would watch him get up from the couch, walk all across the counter, go through the French doors to the backyard. It wasn't, you know, an instant cut. Mm -hmm. You spent time with them. Even if that time was just walking from place to place. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Give it to me, Finnegan. Give it to me. Don't, don't pull it like that. You'll hurt it. You'll get all the stuffing out of it or something. I want that cow. We have to have the cow, Finnegan. Give it to me. <clears throat> Finnegan, don't be so naughty. You're being bad. I want that cow. Here, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me, Finnegan. Get out of there. Give me the cow. Finnegan, I just want the cow for a little while. Here, 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 here. What's happening? Finnegan, Casey, what's going on? He won't give me the cow. What do you need the cow for? For the story. What story is it? For the for Jack and the beanstalk. Oh, well, that's right. There is a hey, cow. Give me the cow, the... Finnegan. What, here, give here. it to me. Ah, oh, good, I got it. Oh, uh -huh. now, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Casey, that's not the way to behave. Well, he won't Let's put play. put the cow just between you. Now, Finnegan, did you want to play Jack and the beanstalk, too? Well... You have to use the cow for that. So what's the argument about that? Well, I want, he wants to play Jack and the Beanstalk, mm -hmm. but he doesn't want to be what I want him to be. I want him to be the giant. And if he, ah, oh, if I on. don't let him be the giant, not be the giant, then Easy he won't let me have the cow. Finnegan, give me back that cow. Finnegan. Well, I think if you're going wet. to play, you can decide which parts you want to play as long as they're both not the same part. Well, if he's not the giant, then what am I going to do? I have to have one, and I'm going to be Jack. Well, I suppose I could be the giant. I thought you were busy. Well, I was busy, but I'm not busy anymore. Oh. I don't have to read the newspaper. Uh-huh. So I could be the giant. Mm hmm You could be Jack. Mm-hmm. And if Finnegan wants to be the other person, Jack's friend. Do you want to do that, Finnegan? Well, well and you can you carry are. the cow, okay? Well, see, everything oh. came out all right. I know, but it took a long time. Oh, well, if you don't go pushing and pulling and arguing loudly, then you can listen to yes. each other Did and decide what you want to do. Did you hear that, Finnegan? If you don't go pushing and pulling and arguing, oh. see, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Just look what down. Put the cow on our feet. Okay, we're going to do Come it on, properly. Yes, please try to do it properly. We will. After these messages, we'll be right back. Analog Brewing, winner of three awards at the 2020 Alberta Beer Awards, is a proud sponsor of the Dope Nostalgia podcast. Analog Brewing is now offering delivery within the city of Edmonton with no delivery fee on orders over 40 bucks. Go to analogbrewing.ca slash shop. That's www.analogbrewing.ca forward slash shop and place your order today. When placing an order, you could also pay it forward and take part in their Nurse a Pint program and prepay for a pint for a nurse. Mention this podcast in the order comments so they know we sent you. Analog Brewing, taking beer to the next level. What are you doing weekday mornings? You can come and play with us. That's right. Each day, we have interesting stories to read and lots of costumes to dress up in. We make things that are fun to play with. We think up stories and act them out. And we have visits from unusual animals. So come visit us each weekday morning on CBC Television with Casey and Finnegan and me, Mr. Dress Up. I'll start looking through some dressing up clothes now. They're all right over here in my tickle trunk. My tickle trunk. 
my tickle trunk. My tickle trunk's so grand. A pirate's trunk is full of gold. An attic trunk is full of clothes. Some trunks are full of things so old. What's in my trunk, do you suppose? My tickle trunk. 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 My tickle trunk so grand. It's full of things to tickle your ribs. Tickle your heart and tickle your fancy to make you laugh and make you sing and make your feet feel dancy. My tickle trunk, 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 so Now I'll open it up and see what I've got for us to dress up in. Now I do remember him singing on the show. So there were mm-hmm. songs quite a bit. Do you remember any of him songs being like recurrent songs that were? I, I can't recall any of the, well, of the songs. Well, I, I will tell you that they had they did have a limited catalog, so songs would come up like occasionally, like they would reuse them and stuff because there's a business side to it and they can't just kind of keep doing new songs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But Ernie wrote a song called My Tickle Trunk that, that was played often. And when they would do the script reads, I know when that would call for it in the script, he'd look to the writer and say, here's a 20 for you because he would get a residual from it as writing the music for it. Mm-hmm. So that was always a fun joke when, when he got to sing his own song because he'd get a, a music residual. They couldn't do it every episode or anything like that, of course. But there, there was you know, a book of, of songs that they would draw upon. So if you were to watch a hundred episodes, you would definitely hear some of the same songs. Sometimes the lyrics might change, mm-hmm. but it would be the same melody. But yeah, there, there would be some reoccurring tracks, but not like, you know, a theme song that would come up or a yeah. certain song for a certain activity by any stretch. Right. The theme song was completely instrumental, but it still stuck, sticks in my head to this day. It's the happiest piece of music I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it is. It is. It's beautiful piano piece. It's great. Um, now, when, like you mentioned before, there was 1.0 and 2.0. And that crossing line was when Casey went to school. Yeah. Now, I remember being devastated by Casey and Finnegan leaving the show, even though I was getting to the point where I was getting a little too old now and moving on to other things at that time. Um, still, the thought that they weren't there was upsetting to me. Now, how did you feel about when they left? And like, I don't know, what, I'm 41 years old. So I'm not sure what your age range is, if you would have been watching it around the same time that happened. Yeah, we're, we're pretty close. I'm almost 39, so there isn't that mm-hmm. much difference between us. And I remember thinking, oh, what, what, where's Casey and Finnegan? You know, like, because you watch any show, whether it's, you know, He-Man and she Transformers, Fred Penner, or Mr. Dressup, and you're used to the same things kind of happening. And all of a sudden, this was a big switch. Yeah. Now, doing research for the documentary, there were a handful of crossover episodes where Casey and Finnegan were there with some of the other characters like Truffles and, mm-hmm. and Granny and whatnot, which are really hard to find. We've got some, thankfully, which are cool to showcase. But mm-hmm. it, it felt like watching and growing up like, oh, this is so strange that these new people are here. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because we're so used to the other setup that that, that was the case. Um, I remember kind of being disappointed that Casey and Finnegan weren't there. Nothing against the new characters, but I just felt like, oh, okay. I mean, I got into it after a while, even as a 13 and 14 year old when I'd be able to catch it. 
because it was the same stuff. It was still drawing. It was still arts and crafts. It was still make believe and storytelling and singing, which are the things that I love. And it was it was still Mr. Dress Up. Mm. And it would have been different if it was Casey and Finnegan still there, but not Mr. Dress Up, like somebody else, like, I don't know, <laughs> Mr. Tickle Trunk or, or something like that. That would have felt like a weird thing because as much as I love all the different elements and performers and characters in the show, it's really er Ernie in my mind that you can't do that show without. Yes. You take him out of it, it, it doesn't work. Absolutely. And yeah, I think he did a great job of introducing the new characters to the children. Like you said, the crossover episodes probably helped a lot. Now, the thing that I never realized until adulthood was that Casey was a unisex puppet. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those, is he or she a unisex puppet or not? Um, I know Judith, the creator, is always, uh, you know, when, when she's asked, you know, is Casey a boy and a girl? She always says, well, what do you think? And if they say boy, she goes, okay, sure. And if they yeah. say girl, she says, okay, sure. So she doesn't really come out in defense. I know a lot of the time in the show and the episodes, they refer to Casey as he. There mm -hmm. are books and stuff that refer to Casey as a boy as well. Yeah. I don't think it really matters in, in a big case. It's, I think it matters because you get to decide what that character is. If you want that character to be a girl, it doesn't change anything. If it mm -hmm. makes you feel better and more safe and more comfortable and speaks to you, mm -hmm. perfect. You know, I, th I think that's what matters most. In the same way that I think that Finnegan says so much and creates so much mischief and trouble without <laughs> ever actually saying a word, but he, he is certainly a character you can pick up on, on who he is and what he's trying to do, but he never speaks, but he moves his mouth. And of course, Casey doesn't have a mouth that moves, but he's the one or she's the one that does all the talking. Right. I always thought Casey was a boy. Absolutely. Like, yeah. that, that's always what was in my head. But I think it was because of his hair being short. And I don't know. I, I always just thought of the, the, the stigma of, you know, a boy and his dog. That's just yeah. kind of like a classic pairing. You know, mm -hmm. it's Charlie Brown and Snoopy. It's just kind of the mm -hmm. pairing that, that goes together. Absolutely. But I think it's cool that you know, little girls especially thought Casey was a girl and that spoke to, to them. And I say, sure, why not? It, it yep. doesn't have to be one or the other. That, that's the nice thing. It's gentle. Yeah. It can be whatever you want and nobody's feelings are ever going to get hurt. Was it hard to get a hold of Judith Lawrence? From what I understand, she's out on the uh, West Coast Islands there. Yeah, she's, uh, she was difficult to get a hold of. We had to go through a couple of gatekeepers, understandably. Yes. Um, because we're not the first people to try to do a documentary. We're just mm. the people that have gotten the furthest and <laughs> started it with the most credibility, I suppose, yeah. where we've got a little bit of a track record. And uh, it took a little while to get to her and there were several phone calls back and forth and there were a bunch of different plans made until finally a few things fell through and we just said, okay, we're coming to see you, Judith. Here's mm. when we're gonna be there and we're gonna cross our fingers and, you know, Anybody that doesn't know Western Canada, and we'd never been out, I'd never been out to Western Canada. I'd never, I've been to BC once for another documentary shoot, but it was like just on the other side of the American border, like 20 minutes in. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of islands in Western Canada. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of ferries you got to take. So to get to Judith, we had to take three ferries. For us to get to her, we, we flew from Detroit to Seattle because we didn't want to have to take a bunch of different planes through Canada. Then we drove from Seattle to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get into Vancouver until 2 a.m. And then we got up at 6 to get the first ferry to go to Victoria. And then we had to take another ferry and then another ferry to get to her. 
So by the time we got there, we only had like a two hour window to interview her, which mm -hmm. is probably, I think, one of the most significant interviews for the documentary. But we got her in the can and she was very lovely, you know, sharp as a tack. Mm. Um, and just blown away. She's kind of a hero of mine because of who she is, what her personal story is, what she's gone through uh, and what she's kind of represented to all of Canada. And she's, you know, humble as can be. She knows that people love these characters because she jokes, you know, adults always cry when these two characters come out and she brought out Casey and Finnegan for us oh, and Jordan God. and myself were just instantly little boys on the floor with our grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup again just like watching Casey and Finnegan she's right there doing the voice and everything but oh my goodness and of course you know when she's about to put the puppets away I'm like hang on I had to pet Finnegan and like it's just her hand in the puppet but it's not because it's Finnegan and there's a soul in there you know, I'm even getting teary-eyed just thinking about it. <laughs> I don't. I'm I'm getting goosebumps because those characters were a foot away from us, and we got to yeah. hug them. Yeah. Imagine getting to hug those people that are part of your childhood. You instantly feel like a child again. And mm -hmm. again, that show, that safe space we talked about, you instantly feel safe again, wow. and that everything's all right in the world. And I know for that day and days after, for me, it didn't matter what happened around us. Because we had that, that, that safe point again that kind of just, you know, completely cover us like a warm comforter on the couch, mm. you know, and it's very cool. It was very cool. And the same thing was when we filmed with Fred Penner to talk to him about what it was like, you know, what Ernie's legacy was and that show's legacy. Mm. It was just, again, like, wow, this guy was a huge part of my childhood as well. And just to hear him talk and, and, and speak about, you know, the importance of children and how we should work with them and not teach at them and speak at them, but how we should listen to them and, and grow with them and let them teach us things. Yes. Again, just kind of like Canadian royalty, if you ask me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, those phrases, even the phrase tickle trunk, just saying that people still use that in, in their vocabulary. If they're describing yeah. certain things, they could say, oh, it's, I got this, I got a tickle trunk full of stuff. You know, it, people say that. Yeah. Where do you keep your Halloween costumes? Well, in the tickle trunk, of course. <laughs> right? It's just colloquial. It, it's, it's part of common phrase. It's like, you know, I'm going to have a Coke or, you know, pass me a Kleenex. It's, yeah. What is that trunk? It's my tickle trunk. Well, you must be Canadian. Well, yes, I am, eh? <laughs> was Mr. Dress Up available in other countries or was it exclusively Canadian? Well, the, again, the cool thing with Facebook is we're getting a lot of stories out of the U.S. Now, a lot of border towns that grew up on it, too. And they're like, oh, my God, there's a documentary on this? Because to them, they would get, like, CBC. And sometimes it would only be for certain parts of the day because of the way the weather would affect their broadcast signal in mm. Port Huron or in Maine or in Vermont. But they would get it. And they, they just they found it on Facebook, and they've been reaching out to us. And, I mean, I would love to hear what they think specifically in the documentary about what Mr. Dressup is to them since obviously they're they're from America and America is a very different place than, than Canada having lived on both sides of the border as much as we are similar very different cultures mm -hmm. uh, very different values and so it really interests me as a Canadian filmmaker to talk to Americans who grew up digesting Mr. Dressup and see how that may have impacted them and what other shows they watch alongside as, as a result. Mm -hmm. um there are certain things that um, I've been looking at recently before I was preparing to talk to you. And I saw an image of Ernie looking up at the wall at that owl portrait. And I, it automatically came Wise back old to owl. me. It came back to me. I had forgotten all about this owl portrait. Um, there's other characters what? too, like Alligator Owl. Yeah. So Wise Old Owl was voiced by Ernie. 
So they would do a close up on the character. They would have somebody behind move the eyes back and forth. And he'd always do this rhyming phrase, twit to we to wit to who. I yes. wonder about you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Maybe some up here are some little specks. A lot of owls are speckled. Oh, I there you the are. in the ground. Are they happy to get back in the ground now? Yes, I can hear them laughing. You could you? No, I couldn't. Oh, that's a joke. I've never heard an owl laugh. I'm just an about owl? finished. An I mean, owl? I was thinking of owls because <laughs> this is going to be an owl. Who do you like that? I mean, how do you like that? <laughs> I like it. Is that uh, for me? It's for you. That's your owl mm. costume. Didn't take yeah, very long great. to make because I had it all cut out. Remember, I was going to make a scarecrow face for you? Yeah. Well, oh, an owl face is very nice. Hope I can wear it. Can you think it'll fit? Let's try it on. <laughs> Can you see through it all right? Yes. Mind your arm there. There it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looks pretty uh, good on ooh, you. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh. How do I look? Do I look like an owl? I think owl's waking up. I mean, our wise owl is waking up. Uh-oh, wise owl, look ooh, at me. <laughs> you look like an owl. Indeed you do. <laughs> I think you're lucky to be an owl because you get to stay up all night, don't you? To it to wee, to it to woo. That's certainly right. I always do. Yes. Yeah, you've just brought it all back. I know. That's great. <laughs> you just had that moment where instantly you remembered it all. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, like those shifty eyes that reminded me yeah. of. Uh, did you ever go to Bullwinkles as a child? Did no, you have Bullwinkles? No, no, no. I don't know what that is. Bullwinkles was like a, a restaurant for kids, very much like a Chuck E. Cheese, but it had more of a dark and sinister feel when you went into it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why not? It was great. Like they had all the characters on stage in animatronics, just kind of playing guitar, moving back and forth like this. Very freaky. Wow. Anyways, if you haven't experienced it, we won't worry about it. But the shifty eyes kind of reminded me of that. But yeah. And then so Alligator Al... Was so Alligator Al right was, of course, yeah, the originator of the Trading Post. He was the uh, entrepreneur there, again, voiced and performed by, by Judith. He's kind of snarky and I was really, really quick to the point now. Welcome to the Trading Post. Uh, I'm Alligator Al. Don't drop the box. <laughs> you know, he's just really kind of in your face. He's, he's kind of, uh, he's just kind of hip. You know, he does his own thing. He likes to be part of the community. And, <laughs> well, come nope. on then. Come on then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, say, come along, everybody, come along. Yeah, I heard you say, come along to Al's new trading post. That's it. <laughs> Sounds good, huh? Oh, it's a good yeah. place for a trading post, yeah. Al. Uh, is things coming right. along pretty well there? Oh, yeah, I'm just still unpacking, of course. Oh, There's a lot of stuff. You tired. Mm-hmm. I just hope that everybody likes my uh, new location. I think they will. will come to it, you know. They'll find where it is, and uh, I'm glad we were able to help you today. We didn't yeah. have anything else to do. That was very Everybody's kind of going you, yeah. to be... Oh, uh, just that? remembered another message. Oh, yeah? Aunt Bird. Uh-huh. She won't be able to make it to the grand opening because oh. she had to go out of town. She had to uh -huh. go to the country. So she said she'd be back tomorrow and she'd look at the trading post then. Uh-huh. But she has something for you for she the does. grand opening. Oh, that's kind of her. She baked a beautiful, beautiful, happy opening cake for you. Really? She dropped it by <laughs> earlier. She dropped it. I hope she didn't drop it far. <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't drop it, really, because you wouldn't want to drop a, a, a cake with... Whoop! Ah. Whoop.
Did you ever get to see Mr. Dress Up on tour? No, that's, that's the one thing that eluded me. I remember in college, I went to UWO here, Western, and I remember that he came in my first year and I thought, oh, it would have been wicked to see. I didn't live on campus. Otherwise, I'm sure I would have gone. Um, but I just remember thinking, oh, that would have been really cool to, to check out and hear what he had to say. And uh, I knew they were planning to do one the next year, but he, he had passed away the, the next year before that kind of stuff happened. And uh, there was one of those like first regrets because I was the guy that always went to concerts like without question. And I love, you know, going out to events and whatnot. And it, it was like, oh, I can't really afford it. Your first year of college and, you know, stuff to do. It's like, oh, regrets, man, big time. But yeah, no, I mean, that's the other thing people they're chiming in, you know, I saw him here, I saw him here, you know, he came to this school gymnasium to do a show mm. in the in the middle of nowhere, he went to Northwest Territories, Yukon, Newfoundland, like he went everywhere in Canada, right? His show played everywhere, everybody right. knew him, he had that opportunity, uh, he really, you know, trailblazed uh, everything, and you know, the live show was a nice hour-long performance, you know, songs, jokes, playing around, same kind of stuff that you would see on, on the show. Uh, you know, not, nothing super sophisticated, but it didn't need to be. It just needed to be just like the show, and everybody just wanted to see him. They just wanted, oh, he's real, he's right there. And kids and parents alike, just in awe. It didn't, he could have just sat there on stage or just stood there, <laughs> and it, it would have been enough, because it's Mr. Dress-Up, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so cool in the most gentlest way, in the, in the simplest way. Mm-hmm. I would have, I, I have regrets not seeing him too. Like totally. I, I, I think he passed um, in 2001. Is that correct? Yeah. Cause I think it yeah. was like the same week as nine 11. Yeah. Right, or shortly he, uh, after. he had yeah. a, he had a stroke and went into a coma on September 10th. Um, mm. And he unfortunately didn't come out of it. So he never knew what happened with nine 11. And a lot yeah. of people say, Oh, that's a blessing. Cause we wouldn't want to stress up the house to deal with the world like that. And, I understand yeah. that too. And, you know, I've been talking with Chris and Kathy and other people have been mentioning on the page, you know, what do you think Mr. Dressup would, would make of this nowadays? What would he tell you to do? You know, how would he tell you to get through this? And and the thing that I keep coming back again, because I'm a parent and I look to these, these people that impacted me for advice, you know, it's make use of what you have around you. Mm. You know, what are the resources around you to, to get through this? And it's funny because it's kind of how I approach filmmaking. I don't, try to have this elaborate production or rope in all these things or try to get special gear that costs, you know, a fortune. I use what I have around me and I always have, and it's always worked out. It's been right to the point, simple, raw, truthful, and honest. Mm -hmm. And that's a Mr. Dress Up thing. And I'm sure I've learned that kind of subliminally just by having his kind of DNA kind of course through me. Exactly. Exactly. Um, do you think there was a relationship between the friendly giant and him as well? The two shows seem to coincide together, especially like obviously the time slots they were on, on the CBC. Um, they were very different shows though. Yeah, very different. I mean, I know they taped in studios across the hall from one another. Mm -hmm. And so Nina, when she was working on friendly giant would talk to Judith and Ernie and stuff. And then eventually of course they became coworkers, which was really cool. Uh, but I think, you know, in the 50s and 60s, there's just that era, that model of children's entertainment where it's an adult host with puppet characters. You see it in Captain Kangaroo. You see it again in Friendly Giant. You see it in Mr. Rogers, Mr. Dress Up. It's all part of a certain era where this is how you do a kid's show. 
you build it around that kind of stretch. Sesame Street, same thing, except for they expand what their puppet cast was. And that first year for Sesame Street, when they did the test shows, mm-hmm. they only had one Bert and Ernie segment, and the rest was all just humans, and they didn't interact. Hmm. And so then they eventually started interacting because they saw kids really responding to Bert and Ernie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of grew from there. But it was always, it seemed to be that staple adult figure and then the puppet characters that kind of interacted. So it's just a, a product of its time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still something that works today. I've seen it with my kids. A lot of people say, oh, it's a dated format. It doesn't work. Kids today would never watch it. That's wrong, man. That's 100% wrong because kids that are two to five, which is that age range, even if you said two to four, because kids grow up maybe a little bit quicker nowadays, every joke is brand new to them. Every craft is brand new to them. Every process is brand new. They're constantly learning. So it doesn't matter, you know, if that show is dated or, you know, from another time. It's dated to you because you've had 30 years of watching television or, you know, whatever it is. But for a two to five-year-old, you can put on Mr. Dressup, Fred Penner, Friendly Giant, Polka Dot Door. They buy into the imagination because it works for them. Because it's about exploration and storytelling and play. And the I most think important a of, thing a kid can do is play. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of lacking imagination stuff now. Like, I think a lot of it is kind of just t- telling you what exactly you're supposed to do with this information. Where these shows got you to, what would you do? Like, kind of thing. Like makes you use your own imagination yeah imagination is so key and I mean we talked a little bit off air about some of the other work that I've done and I've done some stuff in video games specifically like the 8-bit NES era and I've got a documentary on video game box art and this is the same kind of thing the costumes in Mr. Dressup do not completely disguise the character you can see very well that that's a paper bag on Casey's head who's pretending to be an owl it's not like a feathered you know, robe that's on him or any, anything. And Mr. Dressup stuff isn't that much better. It's maybe got a few more pieces, but you've got to use your imagination to say, okay, this is the added piece, but this is what they're going for. And here's the performance that drives you through. Just like those, you know, early video games, where these are little, you know, squares and bleeps and bloops on the screen, but that's supposed to be a knight swinging a sword, conquering this dragon, which is what the box art said. So this game should look like this. I know it looks like this, but yeah. this is what we want you to think it looks like. Yeah. So it's invoking and provoking your imagination to, to be an active participant instead of saying, well, here's exactly what it is. Don't do any work. Just consume this. And that's that. Well, it's showing that's kids why I that, think a lot of entertainment doesn't work today. It's showing kids that, oh, you can make this too. Just use your imagination. Yep. You can be whatever you want to be. Also, yep. like that kind of reminds me of South Park too. When the South Park boys get dressed up for whatever characters they're being when they're doing like superheroes and stuff. Yeah. All their costumes are super like basic. You can tell it's like a bunch of duct tape, tin foil, <laughs> duct tape. You know what? The box. I was awesomeo for Halloween two years ago, and it was so easy to cool. make because you just you use cardboard boxes. You you throw it together just the way Cartman would, you know. Mm-hmm. But that's off track. But it makes sense in your mind. It makes sense <laughs> yeah. in your mind, and that's why I love those cutscenes in South Park where it goes to like those anime sequences where they're all like, you know, super muscles and ripped and they have the awesome spandex show, but then they <laughs> cut back to like the reality because that's playing as a kid. Yeah. And that's okay. Absolutely. Now, um, do you think there's anything comparable in children's programming today? Because I don't know, you obviously have little children, so you know what's going on yeah. with the shows, but I have no idea what kids are watching now. There's, there's a couple things I would point out too. I would point out stuff like Blippi, who is uh, a human 
you know, character who talks directly to camera, very educationally driven, silly, wears a bow tie and suspenders, like bright blue shirt, orange kind of pants and sneakers. Hmm. They're almost like mocking the kind of show that that would be, but then you see how genuine it is because it goes on long enough. Again, the Wiggles, I think, is pretty close. They're a little bit more song-driven, so there's a lot of songs and not so much make-believe and sketches, although they do have, like, Wiggle Town, which is almost like a parody of The Monkees, where there's a bunch of songs, but cut in between the music videos, there's a bit of a narrative that they figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Miss Persona out of Canada, um, which, you know, Fred Penner's in, Allison Court, who is on, you know, Big Comfy Couch, and Mr. Dress Up is in, and they're using that imagination kind of, uh, situation it takes place in a tree house there's puppets you go into a closet for, to, to dress up like a transformation sequence kind of out of like he-man or she-ra cool. so it miss persona in particular brings in a lot of these kind of 70s 80s and 90s tropes into into that whole kind of kids programming sphere mm-hmm. well i'm glad to see that there's something that still has that level of quality and imagination well Three shows out of how many shows out there. The default is let's do animation. Why? Because it's cheaper because we can redub it and sell it around the world. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's better. I think it's the lowest common denominator. And that's not to take anything away from the shows because some of those shows are pretty good, pretty mm-hmm. funny. But there is something to be said for the tangible. We yes. live in a world where everything is divided by a screen and it, it doesn't exist in reality. And I don't know what we're teaching kids when they can't go and grab that thing. So when I don't know why I keep picking on Paw Patrol, but when the pups from Paw Patrol go to try to fix the, the problem, our kids can't do that because they don't have those materials and that world doesn't exist. So I think there's always a disconnect. So yeah. when Mr. Dressup wants to make a craft with a paper towel tube or a toilet paper tube and some googly eyes or some glue or wants to draw on a paper, our kids can do that right away. Mm-hmm. You know, they can go draw that same bird or that same thing, or they can take the the letter A and turn it into an alligator because they saw Mr. Dressup do it. I'd be like, There's Mom, a cause and effect. Mom, I need pipe cleaners. <laughs> yeah, our, our house is stocked with popsicle sticks, pipe cleaners, googly <laughs> eyes. We should probably get a bag of feathers soon. But yeah, we've got yeah. hot glue guns and stuff like that. And our table gets all gunked up with glue. And it's like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> now you have a, 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 like, I was looking into your website and you have so many other great documentaries you've worked on. I want to see them all, especially the video game docs. Like, this is cool. Like, so you're really into the pop culture um, when it comes to video games. What other shows should we check out that you've done? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, so my first big film that came out uh, yeah. was probably a film called Nintendo Quest. And nice. which I dared my best friend Jay to collect the entire original Nintendo library, all 678 games in 30 days without using the internet. Oh my goodness, and, wow. And it's very much a gamer film, but it's not really. It's about Nintendo, sure. And it's about him getting these games, but it's more, you know, a film about the human condition. How far are you willing to go for a dream? What are you willing to do? Mm-hmm. If you had nothing else in your way, you had zero obstacles. What, how far are you willing to go? What are you going to let hold you back? So that's kind of what Nintendo Quest is about. It's the ultimate video game kind of fantasy because this is what one gamer's always wanted. And I said, all right, man, you, yeah, I hear you talk about this forever. You want the whole library. Just do it. Put your life on hold and make it happen. Um, I mentioned video game box art, the stories behind the covers, which is all about the cover art and the illustrators. Because nobody knows who did all that cover art for us. But when you walk down an aisle of Toys R Us and you just saw the wall of cover art, you're like, I want that one. Because of the cover, you had nothing else to go and There was no internet. There was no review. So 
that series looks at all those people and some of the Easter eggs and how the industry evolved and the role that box art played. Power of Grayskull is out there, of course. If you're a He-Man and yeah. fan, you've got Netflix. Check it out. Um, that's the definitive history of everything He-Man and she from how it started, from Mattel passing on wanting to do the Star Wars figures and then realizing, oh, we made a mistake. We better have something to compete with that. That's kind of the seeds of He-Man and where that started. Um, I did a film called Missing Mom in which my brother and I hit the road to try to find our mom who's been missing for 25 years. So again, it's another personal journey, you know, how far we're willing to go to try to find the thing that people say would be impossible to find or do and, and what's going to get in our way and not get in our way. Yeah. And of course, there's some lightheartedness on, on the way because both my brother and I are into pop culture stuff. So that, that stuff seemingly worked its way into it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, uh, Mr. Dressup is the next one that we're working on. And we're just wrapping uh, Action Figure Adventure, which again features Jay, the guy from Nintendo Quest, but now going to collect action figures on behalf of a charity. So he's putting together the ultimate action figure auction. He's fronting the cash, going around North America to find the coolest pieces and then auctioning them off. And whatever the difference is from what he put forward to what it goes for, it goes to help children in need. So it's Wonderful. kind of putting real power uh, to the kids that need it the most. Wonderful. Wonderful. And so we're still in progress with the Mr. Dress Up documentary. What's the timeline looking like for you right now? I know it's tough because of COVID. It's probably set things back a bit, hey? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's been a wait and see with COVID because it's not only, uh, you know, when is life going to get back to normal, but when is it going to be safe to do production? And when you're talking about a show that's been around for a while, a lot of the people that, that are part of the legacy are, you know, not like 20 or 30 anymore. Yeah. So they're certainly at the higher risk uh, age group. And we want to be respectful and not have to go into their apartment mm-hmm. in a hotbed city with a camera crew and get them to speak for two hours at a time without a mask or something like that. Yeah. So that's been difficult. And it's been kind of like, well, let's wait and see what happens next month. Let's wait and see what happens next month. And it's just not quite there yet. So we're switching gears a bit. And we're just going to dive headfirst into post-production and cut what we have mm-hmm. and really identify the gaps that we need. We know what we want to do. We know what production has to exist. Almost all our interviews are done. We need six or seven more, mm-hmm. but then we have a whole nother through line about the current legacy of dress up and how to change the current legacy of dress up. And that needs to get shot. And we're hoping that we can do that next spring. And by then we hope that we'll know where people can watch the film and when they can watch the film. So as we continue to cut right now, we're shopping it for a home. We've got a few people in mind, a few destinations in mind. Uh, and it's just a little bit of a chess game and COVID is providing us an opportunity to play that game, but it's delaying the production we need to get done as well. So we're just, yeah. we're doing what we can with the, with the resources that we have. Yeah, just like no. Mr. Dress Up. Exactly. Um, yeah, so obviously we're going to be watching and looking forward to it. Uh, I'll be sharing all the links for people so that they can come see your films um, and check out your website. Now, to wrap things up, you pose a very important question I saw on your Facebook page for the show. Oh, no. I ask questions that I don't have the answers to, okay? I, I do it so other people can <laughs> think for me. Come on, I don't know these answers. Yeah, but I, and I want to say, why is Mr. Dressup important to Canada? And where do you see his influence today in culture? The, but that was the question that was on the Facebook page was, how is Mr. Dressup important to Canada? Sure. Well, if I answer this, is this like a spoiler or, or what? I guess I could answer <laughs> it. <laughs> I think Mr. Dressup's important because we don't have a lot of cultural icons that span 
decades, let alone generations of people and impact them at a, uh, at an age where it's going to stick to them for the rest of their life. Uh, my producing partner, Jordan, and I kind of try to theorize what other shows are distinctly Canadian that are with us for a long period of time. And the only thing we could come up with was Hockey Night in Canada. Right. But that's not really around in your formative years where you're learning to act and be part of a community and, and figuring out who you are and why you are that way. So in that way, Mr. Dressup is the ultimate Canadian icon. And when we think of what a Canadian is on the international stage, what it means to be Canadian, it, it's usually they're humble, they're polite, they're funny, they're resourcefulness. Well, aren't all those things really Mr. Dressup? Mm -hmm. You know, so there's this weird thing that to be Canadian also means to be kind of like Mr. Dressup. And I think we've all learned to be that way because we were able to consume that kind of culture and I think that's a good thing. And I think it's really time that we put a spotlight on on him and that show because yep. we don't do a good job at celebrating ourselves as Canadians. We're very quick to say, oh, no, 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 it's okay. We, we're very humble that way. Our neighbors to the South are very good at saying, look at what we've done. <laughs> it, it's time that Canada celebrates our, our past and our history or lest it be forgot. Because here's the scary reality. If you're 30 years old, Chances are you don't know who Mr. Dressup is. Yep. That is frightening. And to, to have a whole generation now that doesn't know him and that program and those values, I think something needs to be done about that. So mm -hmm. that's what the doc's in store. That's why I think the documentary is really special. And I think that's why it's going to matter more than some of these other pop culture documentaries where it's just, here's the story of how this happened. Ours is here's the story of how this happened and here's why it's important today. And here's the next chapter of it. A lot of us are the way we are today because of him. And that's wild to think that he had that much of an impact, but he did. Isn't that wild? Oh, Rob, it was such a pleasure talking to you about the documentary and all things Mr. Dress Up. So I want to thank you for your time. Thanks for having me on. Sorry, this couldn't happen sooner. Things are chaos around here the pandemic doesn't help but i'm so glad we got to connect me too and i'm don't worry about that i'm patient i was just happy you were able to make the time today so thank you so much no problem i look forward to next time maybe i'll uh, i'll let you know when there's a big scoop on dress up or one of my other projects absolutely um i'll keep in touch and also like any of your other projects you're working on that pertain to the 90s i'll, I'll have you on and we'll promote it too Cool. Cool. Well, we'll get in touch then for action figure adventure because that is wrapping up and action figures are very much a 90s thing. Uh, absolutely. What are all these neat things, Mr. Dresser? Oh, remember I was going to make some decorations for the tree for different people. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so far I've got, uh, this one is for oh, Chester. neat. Candy cane. Candy cane. And uh, this one's for Alex. Oh, he'll like that. Mm -hmm. This one's for Lisa. <gasps> Gingerbread. Yeah. And, oh, and uh, this one's for you. <gasps> It's so pink and fuzzy and cozy, <laughs> just like me. <laughs> I thought you'd like it. Yeah, do you think I could take it to show Lisa? Oh, well, certainly, I'll bring sure. it right back. Oh, you don't have to bring it back. Actually, you could uh, just keep it there, and when I come over, we can put it on the tree. Okay. All righty, then. Thanks a lot. Okay. See you later. See, see you later. La, 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 la. Time to tidy up this place. Mr. Dressup, how does it feel to be back in your old studio?
Oh, it's wonderful, but what have you done to the decor? It's <laughs> it probably looks different. a little different. My tree house is gone. It just doesn't look right. Oh. <laughs> but it's not, it's not gone in our hearts, obviously. So even though you're still retired, are you still referred to as Mr. Dress Up? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So what have you been up to since you've retired? Oh, I've been very busy. I've been touring, and I've been um, doing personal appearances, and making speeches, and keeping busy, and restoring my old car, and all kinds of stuff. So how has the response been since you've retired? When you're speaking in groups, people must love you. Sort of like here, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot like here. I'm, I'm going to ask another question that I know is on behalf of the entire audience. What happened to Casey and Finnegan? Well, <laughs> like all good Canadians, they retired to British Columbia. Good idea. <laughs> Where they're uh, turning mildewy and moldy out there. You got some the rain. Uh, no, what happened was Judith Lawrence, their excellent puppeteer, retired. And of course, Casey and Finnegan went with her. Any questions for Mr. Dressup from the audience? You wanted to ask right down here? What yep. do you want to say? All right, there was this one show, and uh, you had an alligator, and you drew different hairstyles on it, and you drew this really crazy big pink mohawk on one. And I was wondering, did you have this secret desire to be a punk rocker? <laughs> uh, no, but the alligator did. Once again, thank you to Rob McCallum for being on the show. It was such a heartwarming conversation to talk about our childhood and our love for Mr. Dress Up. You can find out when the documentary will be coming out at Facebook page, Mr. Dress Up Documentary. And you can also follow what else Rob is doing in his other films at Rob McCallum Films on YouTube. Go follow up. Check it out. Until then, I hope you guys have a great week. And we'll see you next week when my guest will be Roger Ortega. Fascinating pop songwriter, R&B songwriter, singer. Did a lot of cool stuff in the 90s, and he's going to come and share some of his experiences and his feelings about the decade with you next week. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Come again soon. We'll say goodbye now from Casey Ow. and Finnegan and Elle <laughs> and me. Mr. Bye-bye. Social media, yeah, we've got it. Send us an email, dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope. Or on Insta, dope underscore nostalgia. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.